Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to the so far final installment in our Jurassic Park retrospective series. Today we are talking about Jurassic World, The Fallen Kingdom. This is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. And today we have a special guest. Hi. If you listen to anything else that Corbin and I haven't done, it's probably been with Curtis and I. That's or Curtis, me. me. Yeah, or Curtis, I, and Jacob. Yeah, this is my roommate for the summer, and he was my roommate last year and the year before that. And him and I really love movies, and he's been a big inspiration for me to dig deeper. So I decided, I asked Corbin, hey, we should totally have him on. And now he's here, like on the retrospective podcast, that is. Here I am. Well, we're glad to have you, Curtis, on this episode, and we thought it would be good to have a special guest on since we began the retrospective series with a special guest. We thought it would be a good idea to end it with one as well. So I'm looking forward to hearing the three of our thoughts on discussing this movie. Now, this movie was released June 22nd, 2018. It was directed by J.A. Boyana, who directed The Orphanage, The Impossible, and most recently, well, aside from this movie, A Monster Calls. Oh, yeah. I've not seen any of these, but I've heard of them. I, I've definitely heard of A Monster Calls, but I have not seen it. Nor have I, but I've heard good things about it relatively. Same. This was also written by Derek Connolly, who wrote Safety Not Guaranteed. Really enjoy that movie. He also wrote the previous installment, Jurassic World, and he wrote Kong Skull Island, which... It was kind of a mixed bag for a lot of people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to uh, copy you with everything you say. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it was also written by Colin Trevorrow, who, as you may know, if you listened to the previous episode, uh, directed the previous movie. And also, if you have missed out on the previous reviews, then go ahead and click on the link in the description below. And that'll take you to the entire retrospective page where you can go ahead and catch up before starting this episode. Also, uh, Steven Spielberg produced this movie, as usual. No yeah. surprise. Per usual. This is just how it goes now. If there's Usually, if there is a movie tied to a project, project that he did at one point, most likely he's going to produce it. This is also normal for just a lot of other directors as well. Absolutely. The movie stars Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Rafe Spall, Justice Smith, Daniela Panetta, James Cromwell, Toby Jones, Ted Levine, Jeff Goldblum, B.D. Wong, Geraldine Chaplin, and Isabella Sermon. Quite a few big names from time past and still current and then some more more new prominent rising stars, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. We de- basically the... Half of the half of the cast from last movie has come back. The two kids are gone. Um, maybe that's for the better. Maybe that's for the worse. Oh, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, basically the big names. B.D. Wong has returned. I know that he said that he would totally be okay with returning again, even after Jurassic World. Um, and then of course, yeah, the two big names: Bryce Dallas Howard, Chris Pratt. They're of course coming back. They're the main stars of the series, anyways. So it just makes sense. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but this was also scored, Jurassic World and Jurassic World 2 are scored by the same person, Michael Giacchino. Ah, uh, yes. We were over this last time, too. Uh, we had trouble. Yeah. I, 
I know that we mentioned last time, this name is just kind of interesting to say. Giacchino uh, oh. is how you pronounce it. Okay. I've got some things to say about his score for this movie, but uh, <laughs> we'll save it until we get into it. Yeah. And I do want to give props to the cinematographer. We don't always, but sometimes we do if, if we feel like they're worth bringing up. Oscar Ferrara. He did The Impossible. He did The Imitation Game. And he also did The Orphanage, so he has worked with this director before. And uh, I, I think he did a fairly well job shooting the movie. Mm-hmm. This is one of those cases where the cinematographer, same with Christopher Nolan, uh, up until recently, actually, and a few other directors, they have one cinematographer that they just love and they stick with them. Same with, I guess it also kind of goes with actors. It just is a kind of a pattern. It just in Hollywood in general. Currently on IMDb, the movie holds a 6.6. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> no, not no. the best. Yeah, and it's also, I know that's definitely a drop from the last one. That one's, I know, at least a 7 or higher. I don't know the exact score. But from yeah. from memory, I know Jurassic Park is about an 8, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And they all kind of went downhill from there. I believe this is definitely higher than Jurassic Park 3, which was probably in the 5s, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's right. That one, I know that one was definitely closer to 5s. Jurassic Park 3 has a 5.9. Okay. Jurassic Park 2 has a 6.5. Jurassic Park has an 8.1. Jurassic World has a 7. And Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom has a 6.6. So you yeah. said that Jurassic Park 2 had a 6.5? Yeah. Okay, so, so this it's about one... about the same. Yeah, so number 5, I guess, here is right about the middle of the road then. Mm-hmm. Yep. That that makes sense. Uh, unfortunately, we have not seen a Jurassic Park movie get close to the rating of the original yet. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortun- but, unfortunately. Well, we do also like to look at CinemaScore because that is probably the most accurate audience uh, gauge. Because people who actually do see the movie, they give their score. They pull them right after the movie. And it has an A minus? That's pretty high. Wow, I was not expecting that. Maybe I'm tipping my hand with that inflection there <laughs> I gave with my shock of this being an A minus, but I'm just surprised because the first Jurassic uh, World movie got an A. So yeah. apparently it's just barely below that. And Jurassic Park got an A as well. So audiences, I know there is a gap in time, So, but still, audiences still gave it the same. Jurassic Park 2 got a B plus, so this is barely better than 2, apparently. Hmm. And uh, Jurassic Park 3 got a B minus. So I- I'm just a little surprised by some of these scores. Yeah, that is interesting. Hmm. That is very interesting. I There is... One thing that I'll mention later when we get into the podcast that I saw an article on about a certain scene of the movie, uh, mm. we'll we'll talk about it. I'll make sure to mention it a little bit later because it does kind of get into spoilers. But okay. yeah, that is interesting that a movie that has usually, well, I guess it would, I guess usually is a bad way of putting it because sometimes we'll see movies that have a high IMDb score and then a very low cinema score and then just the opposite way around. Um, they never yes. really seem to connect, only rarely, like with Jurassic Park, with those big 
like critically acclaimed movies that we've just come to know and love forever. Those are usually when the scores are pretty much level, but recently they've kind of been very, very vastly different. Very true. Uh, did either of you see the trailers out for this movie? Yeah, I did. Yeah, going to see with movie passes, it was kind of hard to just to to move past. <laughs> Although most of the trailers we saw were the first trailer. Yes, yes, that is I right. only saw the second trailer once or twice. Right, I think I did. I think I saw the second trailer twice. I and it seen was the first one many times. mega mega spoilery. That's right. It was. It like gave everything away. <laughs> right. Depending on which trailer you saw, probably depended on how much knowledge of the plot you had going into this movie. And I gotta say, for the first trailer, I was intrigued. It used some very horror-sounding music. It looked intense. It didn't give too much away. But then the second trailer, I was I was a pretty on board with. But it did look kind of confusing because it I didn't understand how certain scenes could possibly connect within the movie. And uh, mind you, I only saw the first and maybe just clips of the second. Before seeing this movie, I didn't see the third trailer until just a bit ago. And it's literally the whole movie and reveals the entire plot. Wow, I don't think I've seen that third trailer then because I don't remember. Oh, you gotta. Mm, I'll go back and watch that. It's wild, it's, yeah. Well, it's troublesome. Yeah. Well, my opinion on the first trailer was, okay, going back to the past review, the last one with Jurassic World, I wasn't too big of a fan with that one. Um, but, so, kind of seeing these trailers, I was just like, eh, all right, well, whatever, you know. <laughs> I knew I had to see it at some point because we were doing a retrospective. But um, I found it to be interesting and ends up kind of going against some of the tone of the movie for at least the first half. Just a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, later on, the movie just shifts and, we'll, and of course, we'll, we'll get there. But yeah, at least for the first yeah. half, it is kind of similar. Kind of. I was on this. Trailer, these trailers were just kind of OK in my mind. I mean. The I think they were trying to go for a very much. They were going for an emotional response with the theme, uh, being on the yes. piano, which doesn't happen until very late in the movie when it's very prominent. So yeah, I, just I don't even remember okay. the theme really playing until the credits. There yeah, was me too. other than one that moment. one time. Yeah. So yeah, which was disappointing. Uh, yeah, this is kind of a problem with modern trailers. And I went and saw this with my girlfriend, and we saw the trailer for Skyscraper. And now we were kind of annoyed because the whole movie has been revealed. All the intense scenes, I remember the very first trailer, I was like, wow, how's he going to get out of that situation? And now we know how they get out of every situation. We literally saw the entire movie. I hate it when they do that. Yeah, I know we've talked about this before, and it may have been a discussion podcast. But yeah, trailers, especially recent ones, they tend to give a lot away when they probably shouldn't do that. Um, I don't exactly know the reason behind why they do it, but that is just how it is, I suppose. Well, it just so happens that this is the biggest budget of any Jurassic Park slash world movie. It's the biggest one in the franchise, uh, with $170 million, which is $20 million more than the previous one. $170 million is, uh, don't get me wrong, it's still a big budget. But considering, like, Pirates of the Caribbean 4 had, like, 
almost a $400 million budget yeah. or something crazy like that. Could be worse. It could have pulled a uh, solo Star Wars movie and accidentally went, and accidentally doubled its budget and went over ah. $300 million. <laughs> So, oh I mean, yeah, this seems to be kind of the middle of the road, about 150 million is seems to be about what blockbusters tend to be at now. Um, unless you're Marvel, where you sink about $300 million into an Avengers movie or right. Pirates of the Caribbean or Solo. That's when they get really, really expensive. But yeah, for for a lot of them, they tend to be around this mid-range of 150-ish million. I have a fun fact about the budget of this movie. What's that? But it's kind of spoilery, so I might want to save it till later. Yeah. Keep that in mind, Curtis. It's very fun. I'm going to write it down. Well, having a movie this type of budget is a completely safe bet considering the previous installment on opening weekend alone grossed over $208 million just domestically and went on to gross a billion dollars worldwide. And at the time, it was like the highest grossing movie ever. Something like that just broke all these different records. So it was a safe bet to give this movie just 20 million more yeah. and yeah opening weekend it grossed about 148 million in fourth oh yeah it was number one at the box office it opened in 4,475 theaters which is a really big wide release yeah it's the it's the widest release of the entire series yeah basically if you live near a theater you're probably gonna it's probably gonna be showing there that's basically Absolutely. what that means <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so far, domestically, it's done 162.7 million in the foreign market, 567 million for a worldwide total of, so far, 729.7 million. So just it's in this opening time alone, close to a billion. Yeah. Yeah. It's only been a week, not even because it came out this Thursday. And yeah. Wow. It's that's a lot even. of money. <laughs> That is a ton oh, of yeah. money. I don't like. It's not Avengers level of money, but no. it's a lot of money. Yeah, normally there's like a race to cross five hundred million, and this movie did it fairly quickly. Yeah, yeah, but it did have to go up against. This is what I find interesting. It had, it did have to go up against uh, Incredibles two, which came out just a week before this, and of course that one also did really really well in the box office for obvious reasons. Oh yeah, yeah. So we've got. Some pretty good competition, but this one did beat it out. And I I just wanted to note, because I think this movie is too long, it's the second longest entry in the series. Which one's the longest again? Is that the... Is that World? Uh, no. They are all, like, within a minute of each other, technically. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So I think... I think this is a minute longer than the first, a minute shorter than the second, and the third is about an hour and a half long. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, are we ready to get into the plot? I think so. Let's do it. All right. I'm totally ready. All right, listeners. Here is your spoiler warning. If you have not seen Jurassic World The Fallen Kingdom and you don't want all of the juicy details spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now. Run down to your local cinema and grab a ticket, go see the movie, and then come back and hit play because we are about to spoil everything. It has been three years since the madness and mayhem caused the Jurassic World theme park to close and the island to be abandoned. But a new threat has emerged, 
this one in the form of a natural disaster. The dormant volcano on Isla Nublar has awoken and is threatening a new Pompeii for all the dinos inhabiting the island. Former head of the Jurassic World Park, Claire, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, is now a lobbying activist to preserve the dinosaurs from extinction. Meanwhile, Dr. Ian Malcolm, played by Jeff Goldblum, makes his return to the franchise to testify before Congress why they should let the dinos go extinct. When Capitol Hill refuses to enact legislation to save the dinosaurs on the island, Claire is asked to the home of Benjamin Lockwood, played by James Cromwell, who we come to find out was John Hammond's original partner and helped him launch the idea of cloning dinosaur DNA from a mosquito to create the Jurassic Park. But for some unspecified reason so far, the two had a falling out. Lockwood and his proxy Eli Mills, played by Rafe Spall, propositioned Claire with the opportunity to journey to the island and be a part of the rescue team. With her ability to unlock the tracking feature within every dinosaur, she can help capture and move all of them off the island before the volcano explodes. But she doesn't want to go it alone and puts together her own team comprised of Franklin Webb, played by Justice Smith, Zia Rodriguez, played by Daniela Pineda, and the reluctant Owen Grady, played by Chris Pratt. Once they make it to the island, they are greeted by the underhanded Ken Wheatley, played by Ted Levine, which we have re reviewed before in The Silence of the Lambs. That's right. The group quickly comes to find out he's always a bad guy. I just got to say that. Yeah, I mean, well, to be fair, he kind of looks like a bad guy. It's kind of like William Defoe, a, where he always looks like yeah, a bad he guy. He looks like Grimace. <laughs> That's true, he does. <laughs> The group quickly comes to find out Wheatley and crew are after only one thing, pretty much. The sole surviving Velociraptor known as Blue. Grady is tricked into finding Blue, and once he does, he is left for dead, and Blue is shot, leaving it in critical condition, which forces Zia to be conscripted into keeping Blue alive. Meanwhile, Claire and Franklin are trapped inside a bunker, with lava quickly threatening to engulf the area and a vicious dinosaur ready to have them for lunch the two barely escape with their lives and with the volcano exploding time is running out the trio reunite and barely make it onto the boat leaving the island behind to melt into the sea all right that was the first movie and this is the second movie pretty much <laughs> that Yay. is yeah basically my thoughts exactly <laughs> back on the mainland owen and claire realize the dinosaurs are being delivered to the Lockwood Mansion. This is because the devious Eli Mills plans to auction the dinosaurs off to the highest bidder with the help of auctioneer Mr. Eversall, played by Toby Jones, so that he may become rich. When Lockwood's young granddaughter, Maisie, played by Isabella Sermon, overhears Mills' plan, she is locked away, but not before she can alert her grandfather. For those of you who can't see because it's a podcast, Alan looks like he's done, and uh, I think Curtis is feeling the same way. <laughs> I'm just excited. Oh, this yeah. movie's hilarious. Once I, I was up, I was I was with you up until I you began getting my memories back, and that we basically have an auction for dinosaurs, and then I was like, "That's right." I forgot uh, it. Uh. Little cartoon characters <laughs> yeah. twirling their handlebar mustaches. Uh, yes. <laughs> All I could think about was the beginning of Toy Story when Mr. Potato Head character is like, ooh, hoo, hoo, money, money, money. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> all I could Classic. think of. So Lockwood confronts Mills about his nefarious plan, but is smothered with a pillow. And dies, of course. Owen and Claire have been captured, but Owen figures a way out by taunting a headbutting dinosaur to break them free. During this, the auction is under <laughs> During this, the auction is underway and Mills is happily earning many millions. Twenty millions. Before the auction ends, Mills teases the new dino creation, the Indoraptor. Manufactured, of course, by Dr. Wu, played by B.D. Wong. But the Indoraptor is merely a prototype and not for sale. This doesn't stop the money-grubbing Mills from selling it anyway. When all of a sudden, the auction is interrupted by Owen and the head-butting dinosaur. Man. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Uh, We gotta get a kid's cartoon out of this next. Of course. Team up. When all the buyer, when all the buyers are chased out of the building, the terror is just beginning. The Indoraptor escapes because Wheatley opens its cage to get one of its teeth for his trophy collection. It chases Maisie, Owen, and Claire through the house until Blue kills it. Also, Mills tries to escape but is eaten by the T Rex, and Maisie lets the dinosaurs free into the world because surprise. She is actually a clone creation of Lockwood's deceased daughter, and the cloning of humans is what caused Lockwood and Hammond to split. Yes. AC, yes. Ugh, the perfect twist. Glad I had that explained to me. I was actually very confused on that plot point. Oh, okay. (laughs) Macy justifies her logic by reasoning, they are alive, like me. Ugh. Did anybody think she kind of sounded like Newt from Aliens? Oh, I could see that. That half yeah. the time, half the time she lost the accent. She did, and then they made fun of her for not having the accent. They had to train the clone. <laughs> She's basically a worse Newt, and this is a worse Aliens. Yeah, it's nothing like Aliens. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it should be noted, Claire was cool with releasing them, and nearly did, and Owen and company were okay with it too. But Claire came to her senses and didn't, but when Macy did it, it was no big deal, I guess. Owen and Claire take Macy to be their adopted granddaughter. Oh, I'm sorry. Owen <laughs> Owen and Claire take Macy to be their adopted daughter in their remote cabin, and Jeff Goldblum is still testifying before Congress when he looks the directly at the time. The whole time when he looks directly at the camera and states, Welcome to Jurassic World, as we see dinos headed towards the suburbs as credits roll. If it isn't clear already, we I think I, I pretty sure I can speak for all three of us. We're just trying to hold ourselves together before we just before we actually tear into this movie. Um, oh, yes. uh, this is ridiculous. Uh, absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. As if, okay, to be fair, the original was ridiculous too. But it at least ha- made it... It was a, a grounded type of ridiculous. Yeah, it at least made it thought-provoking and made was able to bring out a discussion of cloning out of its ridiculousness and made it realistic. Right. It, made it uh, made us think, oh, I wish I could go to Jurassic Park. This is like an episode of Looney Tunes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, the first one did bring in those ethical issues. It established interesting characters that were unique, built their arcs, and brought it all together in an organic way. This is trying to talk about ethical issues that are... It is? Uh, it's absurd. It's completely absurd about whether these dinosaurs have rights and whether they should be preserved. What is Congress's role? Nobody cares. So I was... I was very worried when we got to this point, but I didn't mention in the plot summary the very beginning of this movie. Oh, I honestly, though, you don't miss much if you don't mention it. So, <laughs> well, what did the, you guys the, think of it, though? Like, what were your feelings when you the whole first stupid. sequence of the movie? It was stupid. I was wondering. Because, okay, I, at this, when I walked in this movie, I had heard that it maybe wasn't really all that good, but I carefully uh, kept myself away from opinions. Partly, it was also kind of easy because it just was just released. But I walked in, I was like, okay, well, we'll see where this goes. And then the, uh, we see that really small submarine come by. And I was like, kind of odd, but right, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I think it was about the time when we first see, the big the big fish dinosaur that's in the first one. No, 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 no. It was when we saw the uh, it was the skeleton of the Indominus Rex, and then I was like, all right. I had this feeling from then. I was like, I, I think I know where this is. I think I know where this is going. And from from then on, it was just it just progressively got worse. So yeah, the whole first sequence was just a callback to when uh can't think of his name newman from seinfeld when he dies in jurassic park one. Oh yeah all the way down to the yellow raincoat that's true it was so dumb that's true well i guess you could also make the comparison of it's similar to the first one uh in that opening scene as well because uh that's when the dinosaur is released and then of course you have the callback here of basically we now realize that dinosaurs are still here and, and that kind of stuff. And that they're wondering, well, should we get them off the island or should we let them stay? Uh, but the problem is it, 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 I, it did not grab me like it was supposed to, like the first one did. Well, I guess we, I felt a different way. I thought it was well shot. I was interested uh, this whole scene taking place at night, I thought the use of lighting was well done with the flashing and you see the T-Rex and then he comes to get him. So I did find this opening exciting. Uh, you're right, Curtis, it is definitely uh, recycled from the first one. And most of this, thats this is what most of this movie does, is it recycles a lot of plot points and even visual callbacks from pretty much all of the previous movies which is something that we'll we'll talk about the originality of this movie but regardless i was excited in the beginning i thought it was probably aside from the first one one of the best openings it, it grabbed me the most but then immediately after that uh the the i feel the tone shifts and we talk start talking about dinosaurs on Capitol Hill and this save the dinosaurs plan and Claire's in charge of it with all of her young millennial activists that are these super smart doctors and technological people and I, I'm worried. 
I'm worried. So you know that scene in Jurassic World where there's like that big thud and you think it's a dinosaur foot and they zoom out and it's a bird? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's what the opening of this movie felt like to me. That's what this whole movie felt like to me. But the opening in particular, it was just like, well, that was just a cheap shot. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah. didn't have to do that. That could have been way more interesting. You're just stealing from something that's better than you. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I can it's definitely I can definitely see that. Kind that of a point. tease. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, but kind of moving on into what you were just talking about there at the end, Corbin, with uh, these, act- these animal activists. Yeah, I was also getting a bit worried because I'm just not necessarily for political reasons, but I was just like, but is this really where Jurassic Park needs to go? Because yeah. never really once have we ever gotten political in a Jurassic Park movie. It's more of just been the ethics of creating dinosaurs right at least from the first one the second one kind of and the third one not really but the point is the point is it this just feels unneeded and starts going down the roads of pieces of from the last jedi than anything else which i know were some pieces that people heavily criticize the movie for having see that didn't bother me that much at all really it really didn't um mostly because i was like well if there's ever a good opportunity to talk about ethics, this seems like the only direction we're going to go to where we can actually have these types of conversations about ethics. Do they ever get there? Absolutely not. But at least they could have done something interesting with Jeff Goldblum and Bryce Dallas Howard taking these opposing sides to an issue and how the ethics of that could affect policy and practice. Right. But we don't do that. Yeah, I think that's kind of where my criticism comes in is that, yeah, had they got down that route and actually like, explained themselves instead of just bringing it up and then not talking about it ever after that, maybe I would have been more okay with yeah. it and I wouldn't have been able to work with it, but that doesn't happen. So That's the part that bothered me. Yeah. Not the fact that they wanted to go there. It's the fact that they didn't do what they could have right. with that idea. Right. Yes, I definitely agree. There is not very much character motivation behind these decisions we're just supposed to accept oh this is what claire wants to do now i don't know why um and this is a noble cause but then we get the opposing voice of jeff goldblum whom i'm disappointed only cameos for about maybe two minutes of screen time honestly if he was written out of this movie nothing would have changed nothing had it makes his cameo kind of pointless in my mind. Right. So Other than just another useless callback. Yeah. Right. So I do find myself listening to Jeff Goldblum's arguments and then listening to Claire's shallow arguments. It's like the writers don't even know how to justify themselves with this, it seems like. And I find myself siding with Goldblum's, well, Dr. Malcolm's, I should say, I guess, with his arguments of like... <laughs> You know what? Just let these dinosaurs go extinct. We've had enough trouble. We're not going to use taxpayer money to fund to go move them somewhere. And I'm and I'm and that's where I'm at too. I'm like, that's it. Let's just leave this alone. I didn't know that's where we we're going to launch into. Yeah, and this also kind of comes into one of my criticisms is it feels like we just forced this story to happen because. I wasn't aware that there was a volcano on Elon on Isla Nublar in the first place. But okay. Fine, I suppose I can, you know, 
get around that. It's not that big of a deal, I suppose. But the problem is, it just feels like they force this volcano so hard that it begins to mess up the story. Because what you were just saying in the plot summary, we get two part, we get two movies crammed into one. And so when this first movie ends, just like oh, it just it goes by so fast that it it almost leaves nothing to be desired and it feels like everything just kind of went by same criticism i had that i guess i didn't really speak in the podcast anywhere but with suit or no with uh oceans eight where the scenes just go by so quick that they just don't stick or there's nothing special to them this is the kind of the same thing here with this movie is nothing really feels special and because of that it feels like we're just kind of forcing things into the story instead of make instead of making them work. This movie is a Rube Goldberg machine pushing us all the way into the third movie that everybody's supposed to really care about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And there was a uh, article with an interview from the writer and director of the previous movie, Colin Trevorrow, who was basically saying the second movie that we're reviewing now is kind of filler and all he really cares about is making the third movie, and he felt the only way for him to get there is to create this movie, and that's really disappointing because that doesn't say, like, I really care about this and making this a good thing. We just had to push this out there so I could get to do what I wanted to do. I find that to be disappointing. Uh, yeah, disappointing, and it's clear that they were trying to push this. They were trying to get it out there. Um, they were... It, yeah, like you said, it's meant to be more filler. It feels like filler. It feels like, oh, we have to get from point A to point B. And instead, by accident, we created two movies and stuck them together and yes. called it good. And it's just like, it's this movie, after I left the theater, for after I left the theater, I just felt kind of boggled because there was so much that happened, but so much that really didn't need to happen for it to make a compelling story that it went backwards on itself. And now it just isn't, in, it, from my, in my mind, isn't remotely engaging. It felt about as crammed to me as Sausage Party did, and I don't like that movie. Have you yeah. guys seen that? No. I haven't seen it yet. It's just, it's a mess. It's a jumbled mess. The advantage that it has, and I don't even like that movie, I think it's awful, over Jurassic World is that at least its sequences are creative, but in this sense, they're just... Like, we have to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Like, we're going to shove as much in here as possible just so we can get there. Sasha's Party does the same thing, but at least its sequences are taking you different places than you've already been four times. Right. Right. The other issue I had with the volcano is that it it doesn't create organic tension with the movie. It is just almost this MacGuffin-type thing used to move the plot along to different sequences whenever the writer feels like it because i'm like wow that volcano is not erupting it's exploding the lava is now perfectly next to chris pratt oh wait it's in the building at the same time even though they're at different parts of the island it's just not organic it's all very forced which is not yeah. how you write <laughs> and build oh i tension. absolutely agree yeah that that scene that you were just talking about with uh it was uh Bryce Dallas Howard and I forget the teen's name, but oh, uh, I hate that guy. Yeah, the dude, yeah. the dude, the guy teen. They're in this building together uh, for one reason or another, uh, and yeah, the lava starts coming in, and like you said, kind of like a MacGuffin, it just kind of shows up whenever it needs to create tension. But not only that, we also get a dinosaur that enters into this building uh, here as well, and it's just like, like okay, at what point? Uh, this actually this kind of launches into my one of my bigger criticisms 
is this movie is not intense in the slightest. It is nope. and never, at no point did I ever feel like I was getting into this movie and like really the whole the entirety of Jurassic Park 1 where it, like the famous T-Rex scene is so chilling because Spielberg knows how to build tension. This one does not. And I would even go back as far as to say even Jurassic World doesn't either because at least in the last at least the last two it would there was a way that Spielberg had of presenting information. We've been over that millions of times. These movies don't know how to do that, but you can still build tension. There, that's not the only way. But the problem is, it doesn't know how to build tension. And so when we get these scenes of this dinosaur entering into this building, while there's also lava spilling down, it just feels like filler. It feels like they were overflowing with stuff to try and build up tension to make it more intense. And in reality, you're taking away from my experience because there's too much going on. Instead of having little personal relationships like before in the other movies, now we're just scrapping it and saying, oh, this would just be fun. And it takes away from the movie. Yeah. That in general for me is like a criticism of horror movies, but very much in the same vein as the Jurassic Park franchise, where we have this, this thing and you keep building up to it and building up to it. Maybe at some point you don't know exactly what it is. So like in Jurassic Park, you see things kind of moving in the brush and you're not sure, oh, what could that dinosaur be? Or like the T-Rex scene, it takes this like slow build from like the little the little guys to the big, big dinosaur, right? right? So there's this like staircase almost that the storytellers take you up. And when you look at modern day horror movies, those are the best kind. If you look at movies like Hereditary, who consistently build and build and build to this point of just complete chilling fear, right? Or you look at movies like this new Jurassic World movie and movies like Truth or Dare, where like they just change the rules and things happen for convenience that are supposed to like jump scare you, yeah. but they don't do anything for the story. Yeah. They miss the point where they miss the what, I, what you would call the rising action. They just go from point way. They go from point A to point Z before even getting to the rest of those parts to build it and make it scary. We just skip that. Well, and it should be noted that we did have some of the same issues with Jurassic Park: The Lost World, where there would be the magically appearing or disappearing dinosaurs. Right. Where it's just all of a sudden they're running for their lives, and then Jeff Goldblum runs onto the screen. It's like, where did the T-Rex go? So I, this has been kind of an issue with the series. It's not just with this one. The only one I'd say it really wasn't an issue with was the first movie. But all of them have conveniently placed dinosaurs all of a sudden to create tension or an action scene instead of the people walking into it or it happening for a multitude of reasons. It, it's just, oh, yeah. it just happened. So it just doesn't create any tension at all. Right. Right. Yeah, it's... Literally just a vehicle. The dinosaurs at this point are just kind of being exploited for <laughs> entertainment's sake. I it's mean, like, ah, yeah, it's there. Right. Whereas like in Jurassic Park, there'd be things like creeping up into a frame or like not necessarily the focus of a shot. Like the T-Rex scene, like you're in the car yeah. with the kids. So you don't always see what's happening out there. The T-Rex is kind of outside of the frame for a while. And that creates this insanely chilling type of feeling. You're like, I can't like what's going to happen. You know, that kind of thing. Right. I would say the same thing for hereditary just to compare. Yeah. 
And we also care for the characters in Jurassic Park, whereas I guess they're hoping well, that yeah. we have we've already cared for them the first one, so now now we don't have to do any more character building. And I didn't care about them though. In which one? The fourth one, Jurassic World. I didn't oh. care about those characters. No, anyway. I I didn't either. Just uh, the writers are probably hoping that their job is done and these characters are now can just stagnate essentially. Yeah. And I, I will say we have one too many characters in this movie where, uh, especially the, uh, I don't remember his name. He's played by justice Smith. He definitely could have been taken out. Not funny at all. Is that the it guy? Yeah. Yeah. He was awful. Oh yeah. Uh, the girl sidekick I thought was fine. I kind of liked her feisty personality a little bit, oh. but I didn't I'm care glad for you her. thought she was fine. <laughs> she wasn't there long enough for me to pay any attention, honestly. Yeah, she didn't... I, I, I just don't think she was too much of a detriment, but once again, I don't care really about her. And, uh, and I gotta say, I did have a big issue with Chris Pratt's character in this movie because he was Superman. He could get them out oh. of every situation. He... He's like one of those, you know, kung fu stars in a kung fu movie where they can do anything and, you know, fly on walls, it seemed like. They're just that good. And that just got old to me because that definitely cuts the tension when, you know, there's no creativity, there's no problem solving. It's just like, I'm awesome. I can do anything. And I can fight. (laughs) Yeah, that can work sometimes, like convenience sake and that kind of thing. And they could have played that up for humor. Because Chris Pratt is pretty funny. Right. Like, he can be very funny, right? So, if you're going to make him this, like, MacGuffin whatever, and your movie's already basically a cartoon, why not just, like, capitalize off the fact that that's what you're doing? No need to keep that part grounded, right? Make it, not that I'm saying this is a good idea, because I don't think it is. Make it like the Deadpool of Jurassic Park. Where things just happen, and you're like, oh, well, now I can make a joke about it, but it's just an excuse for me to write this thing into the movie. Right. And that would have played better for me than what they did right now. Right. And kind of going back to what Corbin's saying with Pratt being Superman, there is no scene in my mind that illustrates this better when the dino- the headbutting dinosaur gets led upstairs to the... Uh, to the bidders and then Pratt and then Pratt tries to I think go back downstairs to the elevator or and stuff and he's just going by and every person that kind of comes in his way he just punches him in the face and then they're down and that's it mm. he just kind of he, I think he goes through about five or six men before he right. reaches wherever he was going um yeah I, I that like you said he's basically Superman in this movie and there really isn't any development for any of these characters because the development that we get from Bryce Dallas Howard's character happened between movies. Right. And Pratt's character, same deal. It happened between World and this one. And these two new characters that were getting the two teenagers, in my mind, one of them actually does stuff, and then which was the IT guy. And then the other one feels as if she's only there simply for convenience because she knows how to take care of these dinosaurs somehow she knows that you need to get the dinosaur blood from the t-rex to help out blue somehow and then this creates another scene for our two heroes to go in and some and get into danger it she feels like just a plot device like all all through through and through it just it doesn't feel like you were saying organic to the story really in any way it just kind of feels like they're there just to be there so we can make another scene happen 
So the scene that got me for the Superman thing was when uh, he gets tranquilized, and then yeah. he wakes up, and the lava is like slowly surrounding him or whatever, right. and he somehow just stops being tranquilized yeah. and just like spider crawls his way out of the lava and like over a tree somehow right. and then he just is like well that was close and then like winks <laughs> yeah. at the camera i was like that's so stupid yeah yeah uh, i also felt they're in pretty tough situations with dinosaurs one would assume you would be scared and i just i know chris pratt is tough he's dealt with the raptors but still i just don't ever get this like we are in life-threatening danger this is a really intense situation it's like nah i got this we're gonna get out of it and especially when the ball falls off the cliff into the water and he dives off the cliff and rescues them and <laughs> it's like of course Forgot about that yeah, by the way, that ball still works somehow? Well, I think it just Whatever. rolled with inertia. All right. I, I guess I can I guess I can take that. But it just seemed kind of <laughs> odd that it, it worked or that it was able to even get moving in the first place. And then he comes down there with a gun. Yeah, and where did he shoot that? The glass thing with a gun and then yeah. they somehow get out, but he had to shoot it twice and had to go up for air in between. <laughs> uh yeah yeah I, oh so good I, if it isn't obvious already the this movie kind of removes all logic to be fair this is not anything new for these movies but yeah at this point it's just it's it's hard for me to get into it because it feels like they're making stuff up and making up conflicts making up conflicts for the sake of trying to make it more intense when in reality like i mentioned it just kind of backfires it feels like you're a kid like, remember when you were a kid, you would, like, make your own board games and, like, try and teach your family how to play them, and then if you lost, you would change the rules at the last second? Yeah, yeah. That's this whole movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good yes. comparison. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, I leaned over to my girlfriend, and I said, this feels like the climax of the movie. And yeah. Oh, it does. So, when I saw the trailer, I'm like, oh, okay, that's the climax, and they're kind of ruining it for us, but little do I realize... This is kind of the halfway point in the movie, and this is the first climax. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie before with like two climaxes or or multiple climaxes like this in falling action and all this stuff. But yeah, it's weird how they took what possibly could have been the whole movie if they would have just taken their time to first establish these characters, their motivations, and then going to the island. And once again, in every movie, it's always hard to get these people back on the island. That's the whole beginning of nearly every movie except right for the previous one i guess but it's always let's convince these characters to get on the island and then they do and then everything goes wrong this movie took that and then just truncated it and squashed it together and yeah it, it, this scene with them on the island trying to get the as many dinosaurs as they can and then get off the island is an entire movie of its own and for and for some reason they decided to squish it into about 45 ish minutes uh, to get from point A to point B and to roll on into what we consider to be movie number two, um, which is when they're back on uh, back on the comp. I think the U.S., I suppose, is yeah. what it is. Well, if you didn't see the trailer at that point, you're like, well, now what? Yeah. Well, exactly. Now what happens? What's the point of any of this anymore? Yeah, and that's exactly what I was thinking. I I hadn't seen any of the trailers that really told me the plot. I knew there was going to be this chase through the house. We were going to get 
this Resident Evil haunted mansion type movie. I did not understand how that was going to tie in with this because they look like completely different movies. Yeah. But yeah, I thought the same thing. I, and I'm thinking, where are we going from here? And then when we learn it's all about money. Oh, dear. So good. Oh, I love it here. OK, I think this is where my biggest criticism stems from um, from for this movie. It was right after it would have been right after part one when Elon Nublar is basically blown to shreds. It's no longer a thing. It's gone forever now. Elon Nublar is not it is not an inhabitable anymore. Right. In my mind and from what I'm seeing, this is whether they meant it or not. This is basically redefining Jurassic Park as we know it. Because at least in the last few movies, um, especially the last one, yes, there were things in there about um, about making money off the dinosaurs. There was talks of... Even there's a site B, you know. But never once did the island be completely wiped off the planet. We just moved from one to the other. It was either it was always either New Blower or whatever one whatever the other one was. I forget the name of it. My point being is that with Elon Nublar gone now and with us solely focusing on selling the dinosaurs for a profit, we have now completely redefined what does it mean to be a Jurassic Park movie. In my mind, this is not a Jurassic Park movie. It is a movie with dinosaurs. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And I don't know I I understand that you need to take it new places and do new things with it with a sequel. That's not my issue. My issue is I don't know if this is if I can even consider this a Jurassic Park movie because we've moved so far away from the definition of what a Jurassic Park movie is that it is totally something different now. Yep. I I don't understand what the fascination is. Well, maybe I can understand, but I don't really get the fascination of taking creatures and then putting them in the United States, in the woods, or in some rural area. I know Alien 3 was originally going to do this. The original teaser was Alien came to Earth, Predator did this with Predator 2, and then with some horrible sequels, and apparently the new trailer for The Predator dropped, and they're on Earth once again, and Spielberg really wanted to bring them to the mainland in the very end of Jurassic Park 2 which again felt like a new movie and now this one they're like let's bring up to the United States this is our only idea and it's our favorite idea right. and it's like okay well yeah but that's not what makes Jurassic Park interesting right yeah what makes Jurassic Park interesting is this discussion of ethics and practice and in general the philosophy of it all and on top of that, you have these characters that are in a situation that is almost reminiscent of what's going on inside of them mentally. This kind of like deconstruction, everything's kind of falling apart type of setting. Right. But also, they're awesome dinosaurs. That's the icing on the cake. That's not the cake. Right. Right. And it, it's kind of hard... To like okay, like you were just saying, Curtis, the icing on this cake is the ethics behind it all, and one and two do a pretty good job at m more one than two, but do a pretty good job at at least raising questions about cloning. Just not necessarily dinosaurs, but just cloning in general. The, their their idea is to just 
talk about, okay, well, should we even do this cloning in general? Is that even a good idea for life, for genetics, and things like that? Three, four, and now five have ditched that idea, although four has some stuff in it that I can say that is somewhat redeemable for that movie. Um, where they do talk about this stuff and they bring it up, but these other, but these three don't kind of skip past that. And like I just mentioned, instead of it, instead of this one, especially being a, a Jurassic Park movie, it's just a movie with dinosaurs. And of course, you can exploit that to Kingdom Come with movies with dinosaurs. You can do anything you want with that. Sequel. The Asylum's been doing this for yeah. ages. Sequel after sequel after sequel. Yeah, for eternity. Yeah. Well, and the other exciting thing about the first one was it did take the ethics and it said, let's run a real world simulation and see how it goes. So we get to see all these, you know, theoretical talks of, you know, we can reconstruct this from bones or from DNA and we're going to make a bunch of money. But what will it actually do for us in the long run to see the effect of all of that? And all of these movies have pretty much been missing that uh just kind of yeah uh, ethical setup and then what is the real world effects concerning that and this movie has none of that it, it tries to say what if what if we lived in a world without dinosaurs well we've already been doing that forever and then i just the we're not there yet we're not there to the end but i'm just so confused which side the movie lands on because it's really confusing but both neither <laughs> yeah it doesn't even it. know it yes it, it, in and of itself doesn't even know where to land so it just goes i would just end right. it here their response transcends our reality <laughs> before exactly. we get to that though there's one character that we haven't talked about which i found to be quite surprising and kind of retconned some of the i guess in a way it did but in a way it didn't that of uh lockwood who we come to find out was uh, John Hammond's original partner, very much like, very, <laughs> very much uh, like Steve Jobs and uh, Wozniak uh, together. I'm like, okay, we get the we get the correlation. They're both geniuses, and they kind of split ways and whatnot. And he's essentially the new John Hammond for the movie. Yeah. What Curtis. a crappy substitution. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, you had, it sounded like you had something to say about this. Yeah, I do. And it <laughs> goes a little something like this. It's just pointless. Yeah. We don't need that. Right. It, it we don't need is. it. it why, why is this here? It's the same thing with Jeff Goldblum. Had he been written out, nothing would have changed. It's just another crappy callback. Yeah. That's all it is. This character does nothing. He sits there and is the Hammond of this movie, but anybody who's seeing this movie that's not a little kid, hopefully, already knows about Hammond. Right. So this aspect, like the spirit of Hammond, could have been captured without having some guy in a wheelchair with a clone granddaughter. Right. What a dumb thing. Yeah. It, it's really dumb, and his uh, proxy, protege, whatever you want to call him... Eli Mills is, he might be the worst part of this movie. Uh, I've only seen him in one other thing. I've seen him in Prometheus, and I guess he did fine in that. But he's kind of the one that gets the real plot of this movie rolling by getting Claire to come to the Lockwood Mansion. 
he gives Claire basically no details. He's like, we're going to save them and you can go and help. But she's like, so where are you going to put all these dinosaurs when you save them? She never asked that question and we never know. It's a surprise. Yeah. It's, it's stupid how she goes in with yeah. so little details. And somehow, somehow we have enough room at the basement of this, of this giant home to, hold, to house all of these dinosaurs. Because not only is that safe, but that's totally logical. But it's on the negative third floor. Yeah. yeah so I there know. are two other negative floors. <laughs> what's Perfect. on those? I want a whole movie about what's on the other two floors. Yeah, that, of this that house. mansion is big enough where it could be a movie all in itself. What else do they have in here? So this is floor negative three. Uh, from a bit of the trailers where we see the Indoraptor chasing the girl, I thought that might be mostly the premises of the movie. Is this this horrifying? cat and mouse a uh, very michael myers-esque chase movie where they are going through this giant mansion and giant floors you know kind of like resident evil in a way and i don't know they come in contact with these crazy dinosaurs it's very horrifying i don't know i'll say that could be interesting i don't know if you could make a whole movie out of it but that's not it at all they they squandered the idea and ruined it so yeah, they really tried to push that this is going to be the biggest part of the movie. Is this Indoraptor, just really Indo- the Indoraptor in itself. In reality, it's only in here for like the last 15 minutes. Yes. They and kind of tease it every once Yeah, they tease it every once in a while in the movie. But in reality, it, the only thing it's here for is once again just to create conflict just because they the screenwriters feel that we need it, I guess. It doesn't really do much. Now, we skipped a major part yeah, we before did. the Indoraptor. I forgot. And that is the auction. Yeah, we do need uh, we do need to talk about yes. this. Oh, I love it's the auction. It's like literally sitting through a real auction because it's like in real time. Yeah. We have to go through all of it yeah. and they don't even make that much money for for dinosaurs. They're like Yeah, so I the fun fact from before is that the total cost of all the dinosaurs including the Indoraptor amounted to less than the budget of this movie. Oh gosh. Perfect. It was less than 170 million. Good. Ah. I think it was like 120. I don't remember for sure. Yeah. But it's at least 50 million dollars <laughs> less than what this movie cost in real life ah, to pay for. So Good. Stupid. For a dinosaur that there's only one of in the entire known universe. Exactly. Yeah, he's like, "But this one is worth 20 million." And I'm like, "Really? It probably cost that yeah. much just to Try make like, it." Try yeah. like 200. Yeah, million. yeah, exactly. Yeah, at the very least, if yeah. you really wanted to steal it, like if that's like a steal for that dinosaur. But my, I think my other biggest, my one of my bigger issues here is that we are now pulling back the uh, plot point from before of weaponizing dinosaurs again. Oh, um, why? Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah, they bring that back in this one. They don't do anything with it except for maybe mention it and say, hey, the Indoraptor laws. Well, that's why they're trying to sell it. Yeah, they can totally weaponize and it totally has the agility to do anything better than things better than a human can. And it's just like, well, yeah, all dinosaurs would be able to do that. Well, but well, I was just going to say that seemed to be like the whole point of the auction, I think, was these people can use them as security or weapons or something. And I'm like, really? Again, like, get off it. Yeah, but they're just selling them to cartoon characters. Yeah. It's just like, you know, that guy. One million dollars. Yeah, like Austin Powers. Yeah. Or like the guy with the handlebar mustache that always tied the girl to the train. Yeah. What show is that? Uh, Dudley Do-Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it it just, 
once a, this this kind of feels as if this is an allegory for how this movie was made um <laughs> because they're just selling off a bunch of stuff and it really doesn't okay i know it's a commentary it's very clear this is some is saying something about these rich people versus the middle class who want to do something obvious that's i feel like that's obvious my point is this just is so ridiculous because yes they made 120 million dollars in total <laughs> less than less than the budget of this movie but w- why do we need to see this why is this even a part of the movie because it just kind of feels like of course this will get the audience to hate these people right. and agree with Bryce Dallas Howard's point of view. In reality, it's just like this is absolutely ridiculous. Those, those disgusting one percenters. If anything, it makes me go against. <laughs> what? Oh, I just said those disgusting one percenters buying their dinosaurs, flaunting yeah. it in our faces. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's so funny. It just took me out of the movie completely. Oh, and yeah. then the little guy. The headbutt stuff okay. starts, like, knocking people up against the wall, like, eight feet high. Yeah. And it looks like a, a cartoon. there. Yeah. It was so funny. I, it was I at laughed that moment. out loud. Yeah, it was at that moment where I legitimately laughed out loud. And at that point, the movie had just already lost oh, yeah. anyways. And I was just like, okay, well, what else can they do? I, I wanted you know? it to be over. I'm like, when is this going to be over? I kept yeah. clock watching. Uh, yeah. One more thing about the, the bidding scene. Every time they would bid, it would automatically go up on his computer. I don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah. It kept changing the number, like, you know, those, like, little flip Yeah, numbers. yeah. It was, like, doing that, but on a screen. I just loved yeah. his smile, where he's just like, hmm, <laughs> and it just showed them more money, and he's, like, looking, it's, like, 50 yeah. million, and I'm like, you you work for, like, a super rich guy, like, you're rich already, so I don't know what an extra 50 million right. is going to do for you that... And and he's ready to and he like smothers him. He's got to kill him and lock Maisie away. And we don't know what she is. And I was like, that's really rude. And then we find out she's a clone. Yeah. Speaking of Maisie, some we we find out late into this movie that she's a clone of a dog is of Lockwood's oh, daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is another one of those. I I just leaned over to. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. What what purpose does that serve? We already have the cloning ethic. Right. And this could be very interesting. This could be very, very interesting to bring this and relate this to the dinosaurs if had they done it in the right way. But once again, it almost feels like we are avoiding any kind of deeper thea- deeper discussion just in general. So instead we just go, uh, we'll put this here. But we're not going to talk about it. And Macy's character is by far the biggest, the best example of this is because it's a human clone from the her a dead daughter, a dead a right. dead human, right? As far as we know. I don't think that should have even been in a discussion, though. Yeah. Like for Jurassic Park. Oh, no. That works for Blade Runner. Yeah. But that's because that's the point of Blade Runner. Right. Right. But Jurassic Park already has the means to discuss the things it's been built to discuss. Right. Why and, do we need to add this? And perhaps they're trying to go down the route. I know we talked about this in a past podcast. If one of the ideas for one of the scripts is to have is to start merging dinosaur DNA with human yes. DNA, but they don't do that. They it's just a cloned human, and so 
once again, it's just kind of like, okay, well, then why is this here? Only reason why is so we can have the ending where she pushes the, the, the emergency escape button because she has a connection with these dinosaurs. And it's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? And the dinosaurs don't even look that good. Yeah. Yeah. They, Some do. I, yeah. There are scenes where I was impressed. but Nothing has been as impressive as the T-Rex from the first movie. The yes. animatronic yeah. T-Rex. So I was on vacation um, back in May, and I went to Universal Studios Florida, and they still have the Jurassic Park ride from, like, 1999. Mm, nice. It was so cool. Like, the animatronics were just like the ones in the film. Yeah. And it was just yeah. incredible to see, like, that that kind of work went into it, seeing it in person, let alone in the movie where they can do little camera tricks and stuff to help make it a little more uh, authentic. Right. But the use of practical effects versus the crap ton of CG that we're getting in this movie, like, come on. How do you even compare the two? I I mean, I know, Alan, you and I have talked about this with Blade Runner 1 and 2, but especially with this, like, especially, we got movies coming out, like Shape of Water, who builds the fish man entirely out of practical effect. Like, that's all makeup, right? Right. We have Suicide Squad, which I hate. <laughs> and it's warranted. got the Oscar for... But it got yeah. the Oscar <laughs> because Killer Croc was all makeup. Yeah. None of that was CG. Yeah. Like, we can do it. It has made, been made very clear to me that we can do this. I'm not saying a little touch-up CG is a bad thing. Right. But when you rely on it so heavily... Other than a few up close scenes where there were animatronics, yes, because there were some. Yes. Uh, besides those, in ten years, that's all going to yeah. look obsolete, just yeah. like Jurassic Park three does right now. Yeah, and that's kind of the big issue is that we know as humans, we know when something is fake, especially when it's something that's meant to be. Especially when it's something that's meant to look real and it isn't completely. Listen, isn't completely real we know that and that's kind of why even though we praise the cgi in the original it there are moments where it's like okay well i know that that is cgi oh, yeah. but at least with that one it does it in a way where it makes sense this one is very heavily heavy on the cgi and, and you know it's fake because it clearly isn't real there is better cgi i would even point to uh the two the last two planet of the apes movies that we've gotten yeah. oh yeah have know how to utilize CGI in a way that makes it look very, very realistic, even though you, you might, in the future, we might see it, okay, well, that's kind of fake. It still makes you believe that it is real. This one is not necessarily in that way. It isn't It yeah. isn't that on that level of good, and that is unfortunate. But on a franchise that's so, like, built foundationally on the use of practical effects, on of an original movie that, in a sense, almost changed the game as yeah. to what practical effects can do, to create like these new worlds and these new stories that couldn't have never been told this way, unless you're looking at like the original Godzilla or King Kong or something like this is a brand new level for movie making. Why would we just throw a bunch of money at the screen and be like, well, here you go. Yeah. That just doesn't make sense. Oh, to I completely me. feel right. the same way. And it's amazing because the first Jurassic park, I believe was made on a budget of $63 million. This was made on a budget of $170 million. 
and it took three this movie took about three years to make they could have done a more practical effects they could have made a more animatronic thing i don't know why they didn't i'm disappointed that they didn't because when especially during that t-rex scene in the first movie i don't even of course i know it's not real but i don't even think about it while watching the movie Whereas with this, right. there is so much CGI, and sometimes it does look fairly well done, but then at other times, it's just, it gets tired, and I'm like, okay, I know this is all CGI, this is just, it, it does take you out of the movie. Uh, did you guys think the design of the Indoraptor, what did you think of the design? Well, I would say it at least looked better than the Indominus Rex, but when you really get down to it, I mean, yeah, the design does look pretty cool. I'll give it that much. But because it's used so often, I feel that the impact of anything else that it does is just greatly taken away from. Oh, I would have gone the other way around. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think this new guy looks really dopey. Like, it's clear that he was just a hodgepodge of a bunch of random genes that they just, like, threw into it. Yeah. So, one of my bigger complaints with Jurassic World is that they just keep going, oh, by the way, here's this other thing it can do. But, and in this movie, they don't really do that. They just kind of make him look like that's true. Yeah. At least in the other one, he, the Indominus Rex had its own kind of look to it. This one looks like it was just a cross between all the animals they could think of. And then you got a dinosaur. Right. Right. But I, mean, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. At least from an aesthetic point of view, it looks a bit better. But like you were just saying, it feels like they took a bit more creative freedom than they probably should have. Yeah. I... Uh, I mean, I guess like the color design with black with that yellow stripe, I thought it looked fairly decent. I felt like it did look too close to the Indominus Rex, but a smaller version. It kind of walked and carried itself the same way, had some of the same features. Um, I, yeah, they're still trying to press that whole point of it has the infrared homing technology to latch onto anything, whatever. And we get that really goofy scene where it uh, tricks uh, Ted Levine's character in the cage. It's with the tail. <laughs> oh, and my it, like, word. Yes, at the camera. Yes. <laughs> oh, my word. That was the scene. Okay. That that scene when Ted Levine yeah. popped in, this is once again one of those, oh, well, we have to have something here. And Ted Levine's character in his tooth collection never comes back anywhere in this movie except for this one moment. This is the reason why it's in this movie, that, that little plot point it's, for his character. It's Hitchcock's gun. Obviously. Chekhov's gun? It's whatever. Yeah. I don't care anymore. <laughs> this movie has ruined me. Yeah. No, it was so funny. Like, that was the most cartoony moment of the whole movie. Yeah. Because it was like, uh-oh, I'm going to get him, wah, wah, wah. and then he, like, winks at the camera. I was extremely him. confused. I, with the, Indom- with, well, no, the Indoraptor, that's what it's called now. I was really confused because I thought they were teasing it for the third movie. I didn't think they had built it yet because I'm like, oh, that's why they need the Indominus Rest Tooth. They need the DNA or whatever from Blue, the Raptor, and then they're going to make it. But they didn't need either of those, apparently, because they already made it. And I was very confused on... I I guess Blue was supposed to be its mother. Don't know what the tooth is for. I still don't get that. But they already made it, so I, I don't get it. Uh, my understanding was that they that was just the prototype, and they needed Blue yeah. and the tooth to 
kind of create like oh. the alpha version okay. or whatever. Yeah. So this was just kind of like we're just going to do this one for fun, which doesn't make any sense. But my view on it is, well, we need to sell toys as well. And we can't just bring Perfect. back the Indominus Rex. And we can sell more toys if we kill <laughs> off the Indoraptor here and just make exactly. a new one next movie. That's true. <laughs> That's what I'm it's seeing. Batman and Robin all over again. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So Batman and Robin. <laughs> ooh, that's a, ooh, that hurts. <laughs> well, I, I do. I did. Uh, one of the shots was fairly memorable when the Indoraptor got on top of the house, and the camera swooped around, and the leaves were blowing, and it like kind of framed it in the moonlight. I thought that looked really good, but at the same time, I feel like some of it is too clean, too choreographed, where it's like time for the Indoraptor to vamp. And for us to set up the shot and it to look cool, I, I did appreciate the cinematography, but at the same time, it was some of it was felt too set up. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. If had they set this interrupter up mo- a lot more, like a ton more, this would have made it. This would have made the shot, although it does look good, ten times more effective. Uh, because there's a lot of potential here, but they don't do that at all. Uh, yeah. What did you guys think of the score for this movie? Jurassic World has an or Jurassic Park has an iconic theme and score, but what about this? Yeah, movie? yeah, that just about explains it. Um, yeah, let me tell you how to feel, but through music. <laughs> yep. <laughs> best best example is when they're sitting in the cage. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and uh chris pratt and then you get the piano theme the piano version uh of the main theme come on that although it sounds fine it yeah this kind of tells you how to feel with music where you could use really anything else and just have that added on to it oh yeah so overall not a big fan of this one to be honest yeah i i'm a big fan of jacchino i really like this stuff but lately I know I've mentioned this before. I'm not too keen on the newer things. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that they gave John Williams the credit for the theme before they gave him the score credit. That I think you're right about, Mm -hmm. actually. Which was so funny because they were like, we know. Yeah. We know what you came here for. (laughs) Yeah, I was really disappointed with this score. I felt like he listened to some King Kong scores as they're traipsing through the jungle, like the 1933 version. And they're like, ah, let's do that. It just felt, ah, it felt kind of like a ripoff of a lot of stuff. It didn't feel unique or organic. It did nothing for the movie. I was very disappointed with it. And I, I know yeah. Giacchino can do better than this. So I'm disappointed. He, I just felt like he really coasted on this one that that's that's just it just stuck out to me and i was really disappointed to yeah i didn't hear the main theme until the end credits but i guess they played it during that scene but it was sorely missed yeah yeah there was also one a couple other moments where i noticed it i mean it's pretty subtle uh that scene when they're in the jail cell is really the the most unsubtle it is until the very end credits there's a couple moments where they mess with it then i mean it's really just put taking really all it does is just take the main theme and put it into a minor key and just slow it down. That's really about all it it does. It doesn't really do too much to add on to it or make it different and make it fit the movie. It's just there just to convey some kind of message or to convey some kind of emotion. It doesn't always work. Well, I find this ending to be incredibly stupid where they are faced with this dilemma 
Should they set them free or should they let them die? And the obvious answer is they should die. That's been the point of every Jurassic Park movie up until this point. Right. Is that we shouldn't do this because life cannot be contained. Life finds a way. Yes. Right. But we had to have an excuse to make the movie that Colin Trevorrow really wanted to make. Right. Exactly. This this ending scene is... um, It's maddening. They at one moment I was thinking, okay, maybe they actually will kill off the dinosaurs because of Bryce's uh, character, where she's like, maybe I shouldn't, maybe we should just let life do its thing. Even though this is a situation where humans have totally intervened, and also adding on to that, this moment is very contrived. But I digress. Um, she, I guess, decides that, I guess this is a small character arc for her because in the beginning she's wanted to get the dinosaurs off when in reality the poet just should have just stayed on the island because that's just how life works. Whereas here she gives into, uh, and says, I'll let them, I'll let them die. It's the life is how it works. But then it's undermined by the, by our, by our girl, whatever her name is, Macy, who is has a who has a connection yeah. and that's that's them, that's them free. I don't know how they got out when they're three floors under, but they did somehow. Maybe they all took turns in the elevator. <laughs> I think. I hope that's I, true. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. They're supposedly three full floors underground, but there is a door leading to the outside. I don't know. That would have to be really deep. Yeah. Uh, you'd have to dig a lot to get that opened up like that. Uh, I hope the third one opens with them all in jail because they've committed so many felonies by, first of all, they're not supposed to even go on the island. Second of all, they're complicit in moving the dinosaurs. Third, they let them into the wild and they probably just, a bunch of people are dead now, probably. And then that's their fault. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm picturing like a Mad Max Fury Road. Oh yes. Type of setting when this <laughs> oh, when the please. third movie opens, which is like desolate wasteland. Everybody's like a oh, caveman that'd now. That'd be hilarious. That would be that'd be oh, very I hope funny. So. Yeah. <laughs> John Goodman makes a cameo as Fred Flintstone. Well, I don't I don't know what yes. they're hoping the audience is supposed to be feeling, as if we're supposed to be sympathetic to their plight, because none of us are. My my girlfriend and I, we were just frustrated. We were frustrated through most of this because we were picking apart all of the flaws and we were constantly like, do they think we're stupid? And yes. it was just... <laughs> yeah, that's just the bottom line. <laughs> so many people have died from these dinosaurs. They're just letting them out into the world. I can't even understand that. You wouldn't go to a zoo and, and just let the animals out, would you? I mean, maybe these people would, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the dinosaur did at the end. That's true. He broke into the zoo That's to hang out right. with the lions. Set the That's animals right. free. Yeah. Ah, it's yeah. a conspiracy. And okay, this ending reminds me of a movie that I saw with my cousin one time called Jurassic City. Ah. <laughs> it is. It, I, and now the right. only reason why I saw this movie is because he had it and he said, "Hey, do you want to watch this?" I forget how we came across it, but anyways, it is funny to me because I kid you not, these movies have the exact same ending where the dinosaurs are let free into the real world into the city life of america the city normal life of a human of humanity in the city i'm not even kidding these movies in the exact same way and one of them jurassic city is made by the asylum and that movie just all in itself is just ridiculous it's basically that whole movie is the last 45 minutes 
of this movie. And I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that probably wasn't their intention to kind of rip off this movie. But it, but that being the case, I'm. It just, I guess, this just kind of goes to show how ridiculous this ending is because they're ripping off, either by accident or by or by design, this movie by the asylum, which was made to be bad, and this one that is trying to be good and trying to be a family movie and trying to be just a fun action adventure. I just found that interesting. I realized that today when I was at work and I was thinking about this and I said, oh, wait a minute. I remember this movie. I just had to compare those. I I don't know. The ending of this movie was very disappointing, obviously, but only because I knew it could have been so much more than what it was. So I guess if I was watching Jurassic City, I would have been like, yeah, because that's what they were trying to do. Right. But with this, there was such an interesting dilemma and like we could have sat there and like watched Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt kind of watch the world burn. Right. And like have to live with the fact that that's something that they did, you know? Like, uh, what's that movie? Um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. So the end of the end during the credits, you kind of watch the disease, oh, like yeah, the, like the monkey right. flu or whatever it's called. That's right. Kind of like spread, like this little red dots, like going all over the map and whatever. Or, like, the end of, I don't know, like, Call Me By Your Name, where he's just, like, staring at a fire and, like, just thinking about just how sad he is. And, like, we just have to, we're, we have to sit there and we're forced to watch him, like, live in this tension. Like, this sucks, everything's horrible now type of a thing. And I was really hoping that we would get something more along those lines. But in reality, we just got, well, the dinosaurs can go do whatever they want. And here's one with a lion. And this one can drive a car. <laughs> and this one's a mailman. Yeah. Like, it was just so <laughs> yeah. stupid. Yeah, had they done that and had they actually killed off the dinosaurs, I think that would have made this movie, this wouldn't have been, in my mind, as bad as it is. It was like, okay, they didn't exactly get across what they were meaning to, what they probably should have gotten across, but they at least ended on a note that is at the very least thought provoking, but they didn't do that. So it it go on, and we basically take the reality of what happens at the end of the Lost World and just make it bigger, faster, more intense. If I were to quote George Lucas one more time, yeah. And clearly, the end of this is supposed to be kind of very similar to the end of the Lost World, and that end of the Lost World was supposed to be the third movie. Spielberg wanted that for a third movie. But then he's like, nah, I want to do it now. We'll just tack it on. And that's that's clearly what we're going to get for the sixth installment. And it could have been yeah. done better, even just by the characters' expressions. If they would have given more gravity to the situation and conveyed that to us, then I could have been more on board in it because I couldn't have been f- more. I couldn't have been farther from how they feel about it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I agree. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is the reason why this ending is the way it is, is that way now we can have infinite sequels. Forever. When, with dinosaurs now living with humans on the, pla- on, like, on the main continents, or at least in our case, you at the USA, uh, you have an infinite possibility of sequels here. There is in no way, any way that you can stop this movie at this point, because how are you going to ring together all the dinosaurs that would just let loose and kill them all or whatever you want to do with them. They, you can't do that. This movie ha- now has infinite sequels, so they choose to do so. And I can see that happening 
because this is a big moneymaker. Jurassic Park is one same same as Star Wars, just a big moneymaker. They could just remake movies like real movies now, but like put dinosaurs in for different characters. Yeah. Oh, I want that a lot. Actually, it's like taking the dream sequence, then what happens in number three, and making it a reality. <laughs> Alan, uh, <laughs> I want like a Truman Show, but Truman is a dinosaur. Oh no! You know, like Truman's just walking around talking to humans and other dinosaurs and stuff, and then he realizes he's on a TV yeah, show. My mind immediately went to the Disney TV series just called Dinosaurs. Oh yeah! yeah. It's like the husband and wife. The Jim Henson one? It's like a sitcom, but yes, they're all dinosaurs. they are all uh, puppets or, I don't know, people in suits or something. This is what it'll be from now on. Good. And you know what else this reminds me of? Theodore Rex. Now that I think about it, now that we're just on this subject. <laughs> because that's a movie about a dinosaur. One of the main characters in that movie is a dinosaur who is also going on this investigation with yeah, he's Whoopi like Goldberg. A detective. <laughs> the more I think about this, the more I'm just like that. This almost, almost comedic ah. genius. Oh, the possibilities! It's not going to go well, there. We of don't course, know that. But... <laughs> oh, I hope it does though. Yeah, because I'll I'll pay to see that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Oof. Yeah. So this sucks. <laughs> so. Uh, Alan, Curtis, what is your rating and recommendation for Jurassic World, The Fallen Kingdom? Alan? Like I said earlier, um, this movie basically redefines what we know as Jurassic Park. I mean, they've kind of been slowly moving towards this, I've felt, since we got, I would say, three. Um, I've been feeling that they've been trying to make it just a generic action franchise uh definitely was was revived with world but my point being that this is no longer jurassic park this is a new breed of its own i would even consider it a spinoff of jurassic park not a continuation of the story yeah this movie is two movies that are both the length of this movie but they trimmed them down and stuck them together and said this is the movie and that the reason why that doesn't work is because at no point do any of these characters really ever grow. At no point do or is, is there any development for these characters. At no point do I ever really care about the plot, both in terms of the where our main characters are going and in terms of where the enemy is going. There is, there is once again, these scenes fly by, but they don't have enough substance in them to make them stick. And so when you leave a movie that's two hours long, that's supposed to be a lot of fun and it's supposed to be a movie with dinosaurs, that's really all it ends up being is just a movie with dinosaurs and nothing more. And so when I walk out of this movie and I'm remembering the first one and how amazing it was because it kind of, it has a Spielberg way of touching on every single age that it can while still making it interesting for every single age, we've moved past that. We are now more towards the... I would even say uh, 16 and under uh, crowd instead of instead of everyone like Spielberg did. This is not a good movie. This is probably the weakest Jurassic Park movie that I've seen. And that's saying a lot because three is not very good. So <laughs> I can't recommend this. This is honestly the worst one that I've seen so far. And I actually can't believe that people are crying over one scene and that'd be the scene when the i think it's a bronchiosaurus uh 
it's covered by smoke as they're as the boat's rung away. And you see like the rumble and the light from the uh, lava in the background and it, you see it like easily in distress. But people are apparently crying over that. I am, that is beyond me. Anyways, score, I don't know. Three out of 10. This is a not recommend. There, I, I cannot, there in no way can I say that this is anywhere close to a Jurassic Park movie except the fact that there are dinosaurs in it. 10 out of 10. Strong recommend. Of course. I need you to do this. Classic Curtis. Go see it. No. Uh, <laughs> this. I guess it depends on what you're looking for. Um, this movie takes everything that's good about Jurassic Park and just takes a big dump on it. But so did the last one. Uh, if you liked four, you're going to like five. If you didn't like four, don't see five. I'd probably give it a three. Because I think I gave Gotti a two. But I am Gotti, so that's okay. I yeah. love Gotti. Yeah. But for different reasons. As far as this goes, I wouldn't personally recommend it. But that's because I care too much about what Jurassic Park used to be. In response, I would just recommend you to pretty much any movie I talked about between here and there that did the things that I said better other than maybe sausage party. Cause I think that movie sucks too. And suicide squad, that movie sucks, but I guess I give it a three. And as far as a recommendation goes, it's really up to you. I guess if you liked four, you're going to like five. If not, then don't waste your time. I personally wouldn't recommend it, but yeah. that's just me. The trailers for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom intrigued me. Its predecessor was a decent enough movie, and I would say the best sequel to the original Jurassic Park. I was intrigued with this movie because the trailers depicted two different narratives, and I heard the story was headed back to its horror roots. Well, I was majorly disappointed. Yes, this does have possibly the best opening of any Jurassic Park movie, but that's about all it has going for it. And the Indominus Indorex Raptor was, it was pretty cool looking. But these two things don't make up for a stupid plot about saving the dinosaurs, a cartoonishly money-grubby villain, little clone girls, and justifying letting the dinosaurs commit more slaughter on the innocents. I found myself bored and tired of this plot. I don't hate the movie, but it's possibly the worst installment in the franchise. The first film focused first on the characters building suspense, and then you got to running away from dinosaurs. We cared about the characters and their substantial arcs and feared for their lives in terrifyingly crafted situations. This movie hopes all the audience wants to see is explosions and cool dino fights. The characters are as flat, cracked, and dry as the desert. The story is more absurd than the third, and the CGI is alright. Unfortunately, I have to give Jurassic World The Fallen Kingdom four stars out of ten with a solid not recommend. I've seen worse in my day. Yeah. Unfortunately. I can agree I've seen that. things like A Car's mm. Life, so I know what I'm getting mm. myself into. Oh, I don't want to be reminded of that. Well, you know what? All I'm saying is I do think some people owe The Last Jedi an apology for calling it the worst sequel in modernity because I think this one just ah, took yes. it just took the crown. Ah, yes. I, I can agree with that. There are probably a lot of people who don't, but I can agree with that. I can at least agree with that. Oh, I can. Yeah. Well, well, For listeners, sure. unfortunately, 
we ended the retrospective on a low note, but <laughs> hopefully you did have fun enjoying listening to us just kind of kind of tear into this movie. It's fun to listen to those reviews where we get to kind of trash on the movie because the movie warrants it and they need to give us a better sequel and treat us with more dignity and respect and don't insult our intelligence and don't insult the franchise that's just a beloved franchise and give us this just just a dumb movie but anyways i want to say thank you curtis for joining us on the finale yeah thanks for having me Uh, audience i want to know what you think about this movie is this a good installment in the franchise or is it the worst installment well comment below and let us know don't forget to subscribe and like you can find us on your favorite social media platforms and if you're old school and you want email like me then go ahead and head over to our website and you can get signed up for emails right away so you'll never miss anything But uh, make sure to share this review with your friends. We have a lot of fun discussing movies, and we have a lot of fun discussing them with you. So we want to share the Silver Screen Guide love and continue to discuss more movies with you. Also, if you want more great content like bonus podcasts, our thoughts on recent news and trailers, movie commentaries, if you even want to do a Q&A with us and ask us questions personally that we will answer, then go ahead and you'll find in the uh, description below a link to our Patreon where just for uh, as much as a Starbucks coffee, you can get a lot of great content every month. So go ahead and head over there and become a patron and you'll get some great content that nobody else gets. So once again, thank you for joining us on this retrospective series. We will be coming back if the time correctly. Oh, that sounded weird. We will be coming back if the uh, release date is correct for Jurassic World 3. It is supposed to come out in 2021. So the retrospective will be uh, resurrected just like these dinosaurs uh, in a couple years. And uh, I don't know if I, I guess I'm not looking forward to it now. No, that's that's negative. I'm looking forward to it. We're gonna have fun with it. Uh, I'll I'm cu- I'll say this. You can take it how you want it. I'm curious to see where they where they will go. Me too. <laughs> well, listeners, thank you once again, and we've got some more great reviews coming to you soon. We will be finishing up our Ghost in the Shell retrospective. We're still going strong with our Halloween retrospective leading up to the brand new movie this fall, which I am super excited about, and continue to look for more great reviews uh, in the archives. Go ahead and catch up. So once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.